Ruth 2. Let me, let me pray. Father, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would forgive my sins, that I might be a more useful instrument of grace in your hands, someone through whom you can speak to the hearts of your sheep, that they may love you more than they do now. I pray that as we see the story behind the story this morning, that our hearts, our hearts, will be drawn to you because of what you have done. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts. Captivate us this morning by your love for us. In your name. Amen. Right, well, there's a title for you. The story behind the story. The story behind the story. Now, if you've got your Bible open or a NIV app, whatever it is, you'll see that the title, it says that Ruth meets Boaz. But it's not quite right, is it? It's not quite right. Because it's Boaz who meets Ruth. But actually, that's not quite right either. Because there's a much bigger story behind the story of Boaz meeting Ruth. It's a wonderfully compassionate, tender story, isn't it? Both Boaz displays such wonderful grace and kindness and goodness and compassion to Ruth. But there's a much bigger story behind the story. And then we notice Ruth's incredible, humble, thankful gratitude to the kindness of Boaz, but, but there's a much bigger story behind the story. I guess it would be wonderful if you have a look at verse 4. I, I think it would be wonderful to work for a Christian boss, right? Who, when he comes to work, says, The Lord be with you, and all the employees shout back, The Lord bless you. I've actually decided I'm going to try that tomorrow morning as I come to the office with my staff. I'm going to blow into the office and say, the Lord be with you. And they're going to turn around and say, you've lost your marbles. But you see, the story behind the story is not about good ethical work practices. You might be interested to know that in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth is placed after the book of Proverbs. If you know anything about Proverbs, Proverbs 31 ends with what? With the proverbial Proverbs 31 woman. It's all about a woman who is so industrious and has such integrity and she is a, 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 a hardworking, she's a husband-loving, child-rearing woman of integrity. And so the Hebrews saw Ruth as a picture of the Proverbs 31 woman. But that is actually to miss the story behind the story. Four headings for you. Here we go. Number one, the divine appointment. The divine appointment. Ruth, as we discovered, lands in the fields of Boaz. And Boaz lands in his own field. And he notices Ruth. And as we discovered last week, and some of the testimonies have picked up those words, there was not a chance, chanced, that, he simply, that they simply landed in the same place at the same time in the same field. We saw that as God is bringing Ruth 
to Boaz or Boaz to Ruth. It's, it's God's unseen hand working behind the scenes as He brings a Gentile believer into the very space, the very field of a Jewish believer. God is working good in all the bitterness of Naomi's life for the good of His children. But Naomi couldn't see it yet. But we need to go deeper to see the story behind the story. If you are a child of God by faith in Jesus, then Boaz meeting Ruth by divine appointment is Jesus meeting you by divine appointment. Ruth has got no clue as to who Boaz is. She's got no clue that she would meet him. No clue what kindnesses that, that he was going to shower upon her. She had no clue that Boaz was going to walk into her life. Before Jesus came walking into our lives, we had no clue who he was. No clue what he would do. No clue to the kindnesses that he would shower upon us. The day you became a child of God was a day that Jesus had a divine appointment with you. Not you with Him. Perhaps one of the most vivid examples of this in all of the New Testament is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Remember him in Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul is a, is a Christian-hating uh, 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 Pharisee. He's on his way to Damascus. He wants to go and arrest Christians and put them, put them in jail. And Jesus confronts him in a bright light out of heaven. Jesus had a divine appointment with Paul. Ruth did not choose Boaz. Boaz chose Ruth. Paul didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose Paul. You didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you. And the story behind the story is in fact that Jesus chose you before the creation of the world. Take a look at this in Ephesians 1 verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Jesus' words Himself, John 15, 16, he, You did not choose Me, but I chose you. The day Jesus met you, it was a divine appointment decided before the creation of the world. Whether it was a night or day experience, conversion experience like my own, or whether it was a gradual moving to understanding and having your eyes opened and your heart opened to see Jesus, it was according to a divine timetable. And God did not change plans or change purposes depending on the human circumstances in your life. When you were born again by the Spirit of God, by putting your faith in Jesus and you come into a relationship with God as Abba, Father, that was a, a sovereign, divine appointment written in the Lamb's book of life before one of those days came to be. And you remember last week I told you that there was absolutely nothing but nothing that could ever stop Boaz and Ruth getting together? Nothing ever could have stopped Jesus getting together with you. Nothing could have stopped that divine appointment. From a human perspective, we say things like this. I receive Jesus into my heart, right? 
I gave Jesus my life, or I gave Jesus my heart. I put my faith in Jesus. But from a divine perspective, Jesus took you into His heart. Jesus gave you His life. Jesus gave you faith. Most of the time, (laughs) nearly all of the time, we never get that until after we're saved. I was 20 years old. I was a young man without a plan and without a prayer, entering a place of worship in Cape Town 31 years ago. The Lord set up that time in that place to enter that church to hear that gospel from that man. That was the day of divine appointment that Jesus had with me. The unseen hand of God was a horrific car accident in Johannesburg. I was unable to stay in Joburg to to live on my own. I wanted to stay there, but I couldn't. The unseen hand of God bringing me to live in a little duplex across the road from that church where I would meet Jesus that night with that preacher preaching that gospel to my heart. It was a divine appointment. I could never have missed. I want you to understand here this morning, Ruth's of BBC. If you are someone, chapter 2, verse 12, who has come to take refuge under the wingspan of God Almighty, if you have come to take refuge under the wingspan of Jesus Christ at the cross, I want you to know that God had a divine appointment with you and there was not a chance, chance that you could ever have missed that appointment. Never in 10 million years. The divine appointment. Let's go secondly, therefore, to the divine conversation. If you've got your Bible and look at verse 5, just, just a little thing. You, you know when, when, when Boaz notices Ruth in verse 5, do you think when he saw her under the shelter, do you think that he thought to himself, whoa, I'm going to marry that woman? Do you think so? Not a chance. Not, not. He didn't know that. But you see how God is preparing things in advance of which often we have no idea. That's another episode. But the fact that Boaz even notices Ruth, verse 5, and initiates a conversation with her, the fact that he does that really well mm, uh, is just not kosher. Actually, it's really not uncommon today to actually work for someone, be employed by someone, never see them, and never even speak to your boss. You know that? I mean, you can work for Microsoft, I don't know, be employed by Bill Gates, never meet him, never hear him, never see him. If you work for Amazon and George Bezos, whatever his name is, billionaire boy, uh, you can work for him and never actually see him or speak to him or anything. And think about it, look at it. Boaz notices and initiates a convo with Ruth. Well, she's just a poor, non-Jew Moabite, and she really is at the very bottom of the food chain, picking up the scraps or picking up the overflow of the harvest. Here's what I want you to see. Here's the story behind the story. If God has got a divine appointment with you, then God is going to take the initiative to call you, to talk to you, to speak to you, to have a divine conversation with you. Because that's what salvation is. 
It's a divine appointment set before the beginning of time where God is going to come to you and speak to your heart. He's going to open up your ears to hear Him speaking to you, calling you to Himself in Christ. Let's go back to the Apostle Paul on, on, on the road to uh, Damascus in Acts chapter 9 again. Do you remember what happened? As Jesus reveals Himself in this bright light to Paul, what is this? He calls Him from heaven, doesn't He? Paul! Paul! God speaks. Jesus speaks to Paul from heaven. God spoke to my heart 31 years ago. And if you are a Ruthenian here this morning, then God has taken the divine initiative and God has had a divine conversation with you. And I think this comes in even sharper focus when you just have a look at the text with me and, 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 and you look and see how, how Ruth understands who she is. So take a look at verse 10. At this, as this conversation continues, she bows down with her face to the ground. and She says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? And here's her identity. What is she? Eh? She's a foreigner. Why do you look at me? I'm a foreigner. Why could you show me such kindness? And then look at verse 13. She says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. In fact, in the Hebrew it says, you've put me at ease by speaking to my heart. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Here's what Ruth understands about herself. She understands that she is at the bottom of the food and status chain. She is poor. She is destitute. She is a foreigner. She has no claim. She has no rights. She is less than a servant. She is helpless. She is powerless. And she is at the complete mercy of Boaz. And she is completely dumbfounded that someone of his stature would actually take notice of her. And as we are about to see, he is going to make some incredible promises to her. She knows that she does not deserve his kindness. She knows that she does not deserve anything from him. She knows that he is not obligated to treat her in such a way. You see it? The story behind the story is that your salvation is a divine appointment where God comes to you and has a divine conversation where he speaks to your heart. And it is one of pure grace. God did not have to choose us before the beginning of time. God did not have to take the initiative to speak to us. Spiritually speaking, we were at the bottom of the spiritual food chain. We were so spiritually we were so spiritually bankrupt. We were so spiritually destitute. We were so dead in our sin. We did not deserve for God to take notice of us, to see us, to speak to us, to save us. We were desperate sinners, helpless, powerless, cannot save ourselves. You see it in Romans 5 and verse 6. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died with the ungodly. You don't get more powerless or more helpless than being dead in your sin. And so again, it is Jesus who comes to seek and save the lost. It's not you going to look for Jesus. 
It's actually Jesus running from heaven to find you. We don't seek Jesus. He seeks us. We're lost. He must find us. Ruth's of BBC. By divine appointment, Jesus came looking for you. Jesus came pursuing you. Jesus came showing you His, your need of Him. He called you. He spoke to you. And He drew you to Himself. Salvation is a divine appointment which issues in a divine conversation somewhere along the line and ongoing. But thirdly, salvation is about divine promises. Got your Bible, look at verse 8 and 9 with me. And I want you to have a look at the promises that Boaz makes to Ruth. So Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the woman who worked with me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the woman. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. I want you to see the promise that Boaz is making to Ruth. It essentially comes down to two things. I am promising you protection and I am promising you provision provided you stay in the field. If you're in my field, you will be protected. If you're in my field, you will be provided for. And notice how Boaz fulfills that promise. One in verse 9, take a look. In verse 9, he says, I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. There, he fulfills that promise. And he essentially does the same thing in verse 15. He, he provides a meal for her, and then he, he lets her go. She gets up to glean, and Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves, don't reprimand her, pull out stalks for her from the bundles, leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. Listen carefully. Salvation is a divine appointment which issues in a divine conversation which issues in God making eternal promises of love and care and provision and protection over you. When the Lord saves you lavishly by His grace, to use the words of Zephaniah chapter 3.17, the Lord sings promises over your life. Promises to save you. Promises to love you. Promises to provide for you. Promises to protect you. Promises to always be with you. Ruth is now in a place of safety. She's in a place of provision. She's in the fields of Boaz. She is now effectively the story behind the story. She is now under the wings of Yahweh. She's under His wingspan. She's taken refuge in God Almighty. And I want you to know this morning that if you are one that has come to take refuge under the wingspan of Jesus Christ at the cross, and you've come to take protection under the wingspan of His throne of glory from where He rules and reigns. Then God 
has sung promises over your life. Promises of presence, promises of provision, promises of protection. And I want to say to you this morning that there is absolutely nothing, nothing in heaven or earth or under the earth that can ever stop God from fulfilling those promises to you. Here's how Jesus put it in John 10, 28. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. And the Father, the Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one will snatch them out of my, my Father's hand. There is the promise of eternal protection. Have a look at the promise of presence. And surely Jesus says in Matthew 28, I am with you until the very end of the age. There's His promise of presence. And how about His promise of provision? Here comes Jesus in Matthew 6 in the Beatitudes, verse 31. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. The pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And if your Father knows that you need them, what's He going to do? Well, He's going to provide them. That's the implication. I wonder if you understand this morning that if you're in the field of Christ, if you're under the wingspan of His cross, you are eternally safe from the wrath of God that is coming on this world. In Christ's field, we are protected from the evil one. In the sovereignty of God, the devil may have the power to destroy your body in this, world, in this life, but never can he destroy you in hell. Because you are signed and sealed by the blood of Christ. The songs of promise that God sings over your life in Christ. There is nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, nothing under the earth that can ever separate you from His love. Eternal promises that He will provide, He will protect, He will love. Mercy and goodness will follow you all the days of your life and you will come to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And never will He leave you. And never will He forsake you. Let me put it one other way to you. Because I think we often struggle with God's promises that He really will come through. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 8.32. He says, he, did not, he who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? See what that verse is saying? If God gave you His Son, is there any conceivable way He won't give you everything else? If God gave you His Son, will He not deliver on everything that He's promised? If He's given you everything, if He's given you that which is so precious, if He's given you all, He's given you, will He not, will he not do the other things? Surely. God has promised that He'll build His church. God has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail. He's promised to keep us and hold us and sustain us. He's promised the devil cannot snatch us from His hand. He's promised to take us home and glorify us. He's promised He will come back. He's coming. He is coming. 
Salvation is a divine appointment, which is about a divine conversation, which is about divine promises. We come fourthly to the desired response. We touched on them briefly, but did you notice Ruth's response to Boaz? Did you notice her response to his kindness and his goodness and his grace? Have a look at them just a little bit more carefully in verse 10 again. She bows down to the ground. And she asks him, why have I found such favor? You're right. She's bowed down to the ground. She's not worshiping Boaz. Verse 13. May I continue to find such favor. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I don't even have the standing of one of your servants. If I can use the phrase this way, Ruth is absolutely blown away by the grace of Boaz. As she understands who she is, a foreigner, a Moabite, a non-Jew, bottom of the food chain, she responds, her bowing down is a humble gratitude and thankfulness to the kindness of Boaz. I'm nothing, she says to Boaz. You've noticed me. You've spoken to me. You've made promises to me that I can barely fathom and I do not deserve them and I am so humbly grateful to you for what you have done. What is our response? What is our response to the divine mercy, divine kindness, the divine grace of God to us in Jesus Christ. What is our response as undeserving sinners? Is it not humble? Gratitude and thankfulness. Chosen before the beginning of time. Called in time to Him. Raised to eternal life with Jesus Christ. Sealed with the Spirit until the day of redemption. Songs of promise sung over us for all eternity. And we are thankful. You've heard the expression, haven't you? If it's too good to be true, it's probably. The promises of God, they, seem so, they just seem too good to be true, don't they? They are true. See, because if He's given you His Son, you can know that He will fulfill every promise ever made. Are we not to be somewhat overwhelmed by the riches of God's grace? Are we not to be overwhelmed by the lavishness of the grace that is poured out on us. We are humbled by His mercy. We are broken inside. We are stunned that God would save us. That, he, that us, the worst of sinners, we deserve nothing. We are owed nothing. I wonder if you understand this morning that God is not under any obligation to save us. He is under, under no obligation to do us any good. He has poured out, He has lavished His love and grace and mercy and kindness and goodness to us in, in His grace. 
Here are, uh, here's a few words from a song. Some of you will know it. It's, it's, it's by Casting Crowns. And here's some of the words. The song says, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. That's why, maybe you're about to understand something that's hard to understand. That's why Paul says things like this. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of of Jesus Christ. Because we are to give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light, for He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. This is why Paul can say this in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually, and the rest of the verse goes, giving thanks in all circumstances. Do you hear that? It's hard, isn't it? My question to you this morning is this. Are you humbled by His mercy and full of thankfulness despite any difficult circumstances in your life? Is there a joyful thankfulness despite the bitternesses that come to our lives over and over again? Is there a Blessed be the name of the Lord when the sun is shining. Amen to that one, right? Is there a blessedness, a blessed be the name of the Lord when the sun is hidden behind the dark clouds of pain and suffering? If you are a Ruth, a Ruth Indian, you were a Ruth Omi, now you're a Ruth Indian. If you're a Ruth Indian, can you see how God's unseen hand has moved? He chose you. He called you. And He has made promises that are sung over your life for all eternity. And when you get to glory one day, God is going to lavish grace upon grace upon grace upon you that you cannot even begin to imagine. You better come back for that episode next week. But I want to say to you this morning, perhaps you're sitting here and you're not a Ruth Indian. 
You are not yet someone who has come and taken refuge under the wingspan of Yahweh in His Son, Jesus Christ. My call to you today is to come today. To come now. Come and take refuge now. Christ died to save you from your sin. He, Christ died to save you from the wrath of God that is coming. He died to save you from eternal hell. He died to give you a relationship with God. And He promises, He sings promises of glory over you that you can barely imagine. Come now. This is a day of divine appointment. And my question to you this morning is, if you're not a Ruthenian, can you hear Christ calling you now, now, now. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But Ruthenians, I want you to hear the words of Zephaniah 3.17 as we bring to a close. Because there it is. The Lord your God is with you. Do you need to hear that today? That's the promise. It's the warrior. The mighty warrior who saves you. He will take... He has taken great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you. But let me make it into the present. And is rejoicing over you with singing. Some of you here have a lousy voice. I've heard it. Sorry. I speak of my own. God's voice is beautiful, isn't it? As He sings promises. Sings them to you. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. And even as you sleep. So what do we do? What's the desired response? Let this message, let this message of Christ dwell among you richly as we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with what? Gratitude in our hearts. If God sings promises over us, what do we do? We sing back with what? With gratitude. That's the response. We sing back. Should we do that? Mm. Music team, gathering team, lead us in our final song.